Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Stories of the New Testament, an appendage to a series of books written under the banner In Defense of Christianity. Podcast 163 examines Matthew chapter 20, 20 through 34. Part 3. Let him be your servant. Before their divine commission, the twelve disciples had a very important lesson to learn, as recorded in Matthew chapter 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshipping him, and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, in thy kingdom. It is clear from the above that the disciples and the other followers of Christ understood at this late date that the kingdom of Christ is not of this world. Many looked upon Christ to deliver them from the bondage of the Romans. They were more concerned with the kingdom of God on earth than they were with the kingdom of God in heaven. The mother of James and John clearly understood the concept of heaven where Christ would reign forever. The Savior does not condemn the mother for her desires. However, he teaches a greater lesson to all of his disciples. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, we are able. History shows that James and John would remain true to the Savior, and both would endure tremendous persecution. However, no one was able to drink of the cup that the Savior was required to drink of, nor to be baptized with the baptism that Christ had to be baptized with. Though the disciples could endure the cross if necessary, they could not endure Gethsemane, where Christ took upon himself the sins of the world causing blood to come from every pore, as recorded in Luke 22. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. In fact, it is John, while imprisoned on the Isle of Patmos, who wrote the following, as recorded in Revelation 5. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written, within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, 
and to loose the seven seals thereof. It appears that Christ is addressed in his remarks to James and John. However, it is overheard by all the twelve apostles. Alluding to their martyrdom, he teaches the following doctrine. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them of whom it is prepared of my Father. The other apostles are angry with James and John. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Even from their high positions, they missed one of the most important teachings of Christ. We must keep in mind that the Savior will be with them only a short time, for they are on their last journey up to Jerusalem. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. It is interesting to observe how Christ rises above all petty squabbles and does not take sides, but uses every chance to teach the doctrines of the kingdom. In fact, consider how he uses real-life situations as he uses parables, everyday things that people can relate to. He is always a teacher. His own life becomes the perfect model. How many of us would like to have been a silent observer? The final story in Matthew 20, upon first reading, appears to be disconnected, an accidental event in the everyday life of the Savior. But it is clear that the writer didn't think they were disconnected. Carefully note the language. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And the multitude rebuked them, because they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. And Jesus stood still, and called them, and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them, and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. First notice Christ's respectful patience as he listens to both supplicants. When the mother of James and John approached Christ, he asked, What wilt thou? When the blind men approached Christ, he also asked the same question. What wilt ye that I shall do unto you? As the other ten apostles were impatient with James and John, the multitude was impatient with the two blind men. They rebuked them and told them to be quiet. Fortunately, the blind men were persistent. Jesus ignored the huge crowd, stopped what he was doing, and called them to come to him. He gave them his full attention. Again, let me draw your attention to the situation. Christ has just announced that he was going up to Jerusalem where he would be persecuted. 
he had announced to his twelve disciples. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests, and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, and to scourge, and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. That must have been weighing on his mind. He was the sacrificial lamb, shortly to suffer for an ungrateful world, what no other could suffer. And yet he stops and asks the two blind men, who had just been silenced by an impatient crowd, What will you that I shall do for you? Isn't that a wonderful question coming from the Redeemer of the world? What can I do for you? But what he asked the mother of James and John, and what he asked the two blind men, is what he asked each of us. What can I do for you? There is something so extraordinarily touching about that, that it is almost inconceivable. I remember a gruesome scene recorded on television. It occurred in England some years ago. A fairly young man was being led away by the police for a heinous crime. He had murdered a child in a field near her home. An angry bystander shouted out something to the effect of, Do you not fear God? The young man's reply was haunting. He said contemptuously, What has God ever done for me? At the time that Christ asked the two blind men, What will ye that I shall do for you? He was on the road to Calvary to be crucified for all mankind. Christ died for everyone, even that young man who said, What has God ever done for me? Christ rejected the request of the mother of James and John, for Christ said it was not his to give. Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. However, Christ granted the desires of the two blind men, for he healed their blindness. That which Christ can give, he will give freely. Do we not sometimes represent the mother of James and John and ask for things that we should not ask for? And other times do we not represent the two blind men and ask for things that we have a perfect right to ask for? Christ was patient with both. To the mother of James and John and to all the apostles he taught doctrine. To the two blind men he healed their infirmities. We too must accept both his rebuke and his blessings. We must accept it when Christ says no and trust the wisdom of God. Christ stands between us and justice. The law of justice, however, cannot be cheated. It must be satisfied. That is what Christ meant when he told his disciples. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. Christ paid the full price for our sins, but only if we meet the conditions imposed by the law of justice. Those conditions are defined in the Sermon on the Mount, which included the Ten Commandments. They are also defined in the other writings of his apostles and prophets. But Christ is always asking, What can I do for you? The question remains, What are we willing to do for him? He can only do for us what the Father permits. Look closely at Christianity's favorite scripture in its full context. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Notice the conditions. 1. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 2. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. 3. Men love darkness rather than light. 4. Their deeds were evil. 5. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. 6. He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought of God. Salvation is not a one-way street, and salvation is not unconditional. But salvation is sure if we strive to meet the conditions. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The scripture does not say will be saved, but instead it says might be saved. It is conditional, else what is the purpose of the commandments of God? Blessings come only through obedience to the laws that grant them else God would be arbitrary and faith would fail. All God asks is that we keep his commandments. The great saving principle is that, no matter what we have done, we can repent. There is no sin that the blood of Christ cannot wash away. May we all hear that gentle question asked by the Savior of the world. What may I do for you? Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.